Hey guys, welcome back to the Church Hurts Podcast. My name is Josh McLemore, and this week our guest is Drew Anderson, who was our very first guest. And this time Drew is coming to talk about his book, uh, No Longer Self-Evident, Are We More American Than Christian? And <laughs> it's a great conversation. Um, in the light of COVID, I think churches have had to start to reevaluate what they are and aren't about. And I think Drew is very open and honest with struggles he's having as a pastor, um, conversations that he's having and, and things that he's having to think through in light of what's important to us as a church. And are we doing something counter to the message of the gospel? And is that in fact hurting people? And so it's a great conversation. Um, and so I really hope you will enjoy this. Uh, you may have noticed we hadn't put out many episodes lately. There's been a lot of reasons for that. Um, but largely, I am in, in desperate need of, of people to interview and talk to. So if that is you, um, go ahead and reach out to me. You can find me on Twitter at Josh McLemore or at Church Hertz. I'm on Instagram at, at Church Hertz. And uh, reach out and let me know if you would like to be uh, interviewed and come on the show and talk about um, your experience with, with Church Hurt. Uh, and I would love to interview and have a conversation um, because I really think when we have these conversations out loud uh, in a setting like this, uh, we heal just in a different way and we help other people heal. So that's what we're about. Um, I hope you will enjoy this episode and uh, let's get into it. So you are Drew Anderson. Uh, you've been on the show before. Um, you were, you were my first guest on yeah. the show. Yeah. It was a long time ago. It feels like <laughs> it, it, well, it was a long time ago. We were just talking about how many episodes ago it was. And I, I didn't even pay attention to the number. I just looked at the list of them, but it was a lot. It was a lot. And you were the first one yeah. and, um, recorded it. Well, the first time we recorded it, we recorded it twice. That's um, right. for, first time I was in a closet. Me too. Um, Literally, we were both in closets, and um, and then the next time we did it over Zoom, and and then yeah, and so that was that was a while ago, and you were our first like story of of actual church hurt, yeah, um, yeah. and it's been a, it's been a wild ride. So I'm glad to have you back. You're the you're a first. I think you're my first repeat guest. So hey, look at that! I'll be the first. That either and the first repeat. I'll take that. That either right, yeah. That either means that I really wanted to talk to you again, or I ran out of people to talk to. Oh, so we'll okay. see. We'll see what happens. It's I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Ran out of people to talk to. That's probably <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, we've we've known we were. I've I've known I was going to want you to come on and 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 uh, come again anyway. Yeah. Um, because I knew I knew what you were going to talk about today. Um, mm-hmm. so why don't you go ahead and give us like what what are you here for? What do you want to talk about today? Yeah. So the first time around, I shared like much more personal stories of church hurt, right? How the yeah. church has hurt me in some sort of very personal, experiential way. Um, this is not, I shouldn't use the word personal because this is no less personal. It's still been hurt. Um, yeah. But it's not been like a direct instance of hurt, you know, like someone, someone hurting me. It's been mm-hmm. kind of the church culture hurting me. And it's been something mm-hmm. I've been wrestling for. 15 years or so with, and it's just, it's really this idea around 
expectations and mm-hmm. that we we have these church cultures that are set up around what we expect from people or what we expect from our leaders, especially um, because I've been in you know leadership roles of either interning or youth and children's director or associate pastor or pastor now for um, a while. And, and there are these unspoken and sometimes very spoken expectations around church culture um, that end up creating a lot of pain and hurt because if I'm honest, they don't line up with Jesus in the scriptures. So mm. they're very much just cultural expectations that are then imposed on someone who's trying to say, you know, I want to live like Jesus. I want to live like Jesus in my personal life. I want to, I want to lead my family that way. And then I want to lead a church that way. But then I have to deal with all of these unspoken, sometimes spoken expectations, these things that are expected of me that don't really have anything to do directly with Jesus and with the ministry. Um, they're just kind of heaped on you like weights. And, mm. and so then you don't meet these unspoken expectations of other people, or you don't meet the spoken ones even that you disagree with, that you don't think are actually great biblical ideals. And it causes a lot of pain that we don't talk about, um, especially in church leadership circles. We don't really talk about it. Sometimes there's some joking about it, or there's just some like, complaining about it, maybe just um, venting about it, but we don't talk about it in healthy ways of like identifying mm. what the real problem is and how can we, how can we stop that church culture from continuing? That's going to continue to cause this pain and, um, and burnout. And we're, and we're seeing it on a large scale and with some large leaders over the last couple years and decades of burnout mm and pain and, and all kinds of things. And there's even been some articles come out during all this COVID stuff. I think you've read some of them where it's talked about how many pastors are going to step away from the ministry. Um, oh yeah. Because of how difficult the season will have been. And, and honestly, I think a lot of it is around this. It's around the cultural expectations that we place on the church of what, what our culture says church is, whether that's what the Bible says it is or not. And then, mm-hmm. and then those things being imposed on the leader of that church and the pastor of that church many times. And, and it can really cause some deep pain. It can, it can cause you to question your calling. It can cause mm-hmm. you to question um, whether people actually care for you or they just care for what you produce. Um, I mean, it's some deep-seated pain that it can cause. And um, it's definitely an area of church hurts, but it's because it's not like a one-on-one story, you know, where it's like this person sure. hurt me or these group, this group of people hurt me. A lot of the times it just doesn't get talked about as church hurts, but I, but I really view it that way as I've wrestled with this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So l- let me ask you a question because I want to be, I want to be, um, you know, I think sometimes in, in church world, um, we use, we use words, um, in a way that's a little flowery. And so at not this, what I mean is like, you always say like the culture of the place. That, <laughs> so I want to be clear. Yeah. Are you talking about like the culture of a church? Are you talking about when you say culture, are you talking about uh, American culture, culture in general? Like what, what's yeah. the wording there? Like, where are we, where are we going? 
like I, I hear you. Yeah. So like what are these, what, what culture is imposing these expectations? Yeah. 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 So it's both and. Okay. So we have mm-hmm. some American cultural values that are not Christian because we're not a Christian nation, uh, which is a revelation for some people, but because America doesn't live by the bylaws of the Bible, you're not a Christian nation. There are some American ideals that are not conducive to a, a relationship with Jesus. They fight mm-hmm. against it. And so then when those cultural ideal ideals from the American culture then begin to be adopted or they they come into the church and the church always modifies them some, they always modify them to make them f- feel more Christian <laughs> or feel mm-hmm. less American, a little more churchy. We put church lingo with it. But the ideal is an American ideal. It's not a Christian church ideal. It didn't start with Jesus. It started with mm-hmm. America. And then we bring it into the church. And so now it's a both and issue because we have the culture, the American culture, and it's a little easier to identify that and to say, okay, that's an American cultural ideal that my faith doesn't line up directly with what's healthy for me as a Christian. But then when it gets into the church, it gets very muddied. Because now it's my church is telling me this, or mm-hmm. the church culture at large is telling me this, but it doesn't feel right. Mm-hmm. And then we, then we don't know what to do with it, because it's like, it doesn't feel right, but my church says it's right, or they're not saying it's wrong. That's the other side. Maybe they're not saying it's right, but they're not saying it's wrong. So what do I do with that? And so it's kind of both and. It's kind of the, the hurt from the general culture that um, is imposing values on me as a Christian. And I think all Christians would feel that, that there are sometimes we're like, man, this is this value of being like Christ is wrestling against this American ideal in, in my psyche, in a sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it's, it's more painful where the real pain comes is when it gets adopted in a church setting, kind of gets baptized into the church as if the American ideal is the church's ideal. Right. Now that causes more pain because, because then you're like reading scripture and you're just going, wait a minute, this doesn't seem what my church is doing doesn't seem to line up with scripture or even mm. more painful for me has been what I'm doing as a leader of the church doesn't seem to line up with scripture because it was an inherited thing or an right. expectation handed to me. And then I began to live it out. And then I woke up one day and said, wait a minute, the whole way I've been doing this doesn't seem to line up with the life of Jesus. And yet mm. I'm leading a church to do this. And it, All right. you know, that sort of dissonance causes a lot of pain in your life, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. So that clears that up a little bit. Um, so one of the main reasons that you're here, besides the fact that I just, I enjoy talking to you, uh, but besides, besides that fact, uh, is you recently, you recently wrote a book, um, about, about this idea, right? Yeah. Um, so why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So, um, the book's title is no longer self-evident. Are we more American than Christian? Hmm. And, and so the no longer self-evident I took out of the, um, Declaration of Independence about um, truths being self-evident, mm-hmm. and I, I'm kind of making the point that there are these there are these truths about what it means to be Christian that are no longer self-evident to us as American Christians that that we're having to relearn basic truths about Christianity and Jesus and the Bible. 
because the American culture has so influenced our church cultures. And, and so I just begin to identify things in my own life that I've had to wrestle with um, in my own life, in my own ministry, um, and, and just trying to wrestle through what does it look like to recover um, being Christian in the midst mm. of our culture. And um, so I address, I address some things like um, that, that many times we, we go kicking and screaming, trying to reach people, or we're very judgmental of the culture, like mm-hmm. Jonah was, and we're, we're far more like Jonah than Jesus many times, mm. in that Jonah begrudgingly took the gospel, you know, the message of, of the Lord to a right. group of people, whereas Jesus willingly, obviously did, and died for them, yeah. died for us. Um, I get into the irony of Christian celebrity and how that forms us when we start to make people celebrities. Um, mm. I talk about the, the church, how it can become a bubble, uh, reframing our I, I, identity as Christians around being missionaries to our country. Um, that's the chapter where I kind of get into how America is not a Christian nation. We still mm-hmm. have to. We're, we're, this is not our home as Christians. We still are reaching our country. Um, I talk about the value of small things because so many times the big things are what we push and think have the most value. Um, and then I get into it, the last couple chapters that really are the hardest ones for me to flesh out where we really start to lose our soul, even in the church, as we begin to measure ourselves by things that aren't eternal and aren't um focused on our souls but are focused on the mm-hmm. exterior of who we are and um and then i get into how none of this is attractional that ultimately spiritual formation a relationship with jesus um christianity is not attractional nothing about it is actually attractional um uh, i mean at the core it actually is when we get into the core identity of who someone is then it is attractional but the idea of marketing and that sort of attractional. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's not. So, yeah, of course, at a soul level, at a deep level, at an identity level, of course, it's attractive to have a God who loves me do my sin. Like, yes, that's attractive. But the idea that I can make church life or sacrifice or giving myself for the sake of others attractive is kind of an odd, even thing to attempt to do. Mm. Um, it's kind of a bait and switch. And so, so I, I, I wrote this book to really flush out things that I've been dealing with over the last 15 years and, and to try to encourage conversations around this, this struggle against a church culture that's expecting certain things of me, but those things might not actually be healthy for me or might actually be working against my formation into the image of Jesus. No. It might be keeping me looking more American than I do Christian. Mm. Okay. Cool. Well, um, so here's, here's kind of what I want to do. Like I, you've been talking and telling me a little bit about it. I've, I know you, like we know, we know each other outside of this, like we've, we've hung out before and yeah. we've spent a lot of time together. Yeah. Um, so like we've talked, like you and I were saying before we, we hit record that like, um, I probably know, like we've probably had most of the conversations that are in your book. Yeah. Um, and I certainly want you to have any of those that you want to have here, though. I do want people to go read it. So don't give them everything, no, but, <laughs> but you, you, you've brought up some points that I kind of want to, I kind of want to, I want to pick out a little bit just to get, get, get your insight on. Um, and so that, that's kind of my plan. 
Um, the first thing is this, because I, I think I feel like we need to feel we need to field this question or deal with this right out the gate is I just know. I mean, look, you and I both are in church in the South, um, and, and I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, there's a great number of people who would take offense uh, or would disagree with the idea of America not being a Christian nation. Yeah. Um, and I know that there are a lot of people that would be like, well, of course, being a Christian, being American, those go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you explain to me why they don't? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so um, America, as well as the entirety of the West, Tim Keller does an excellent job explaining this. I think he was doing it at a public gathering in the UK, but America and the West is is foundationally based on Judeo-Christian values. So there's no Mm -hmm. question there that Judeo-Christian values infiltrate everything about the West, from the idea of personal freedom to all of this sort of stuff, right? So so there's no question of the influence of Christianity on the West and on America. However, America intentionally set itself up as a refuge for the sake of freedom of religion. It was intentionally mm-hmm. set up. Um, many of those early people would have called themselves Christians um, or theists, at least. Right. And so, and so they understood that without being a non-theocracy— like you have to be a government that does not identify re- with a religion if you're going to actually have freedom of religion. Mm-hmm. And and freedom of religion is huge for us as Christians because we don't want to be persecuted by a, govern- by a government that doesn't believe what, what we believe. Mm-hmm. And so we have to give space for that. So in order to give space for that, we can't be a Christian nation. I mean, you just, we can't. So... While there are some values within America and some values America was founded upon, like all men are created equal, that are blatantly out of the Christian tradition, there's no no doubt about it, it doesn't mean that our nation itself was founded as a Christian nation. And it certainly does not mean that our institutions and that our entire nation has somehow upheld the standard of Christianity. Um, Ultimately, we're we were upholding the standards of democracy and of a republic and of capitalism and of these, uh, none of these things are bad or wrong. None of them are Christian though. None of them are blatantly Christian. Right. And so because they're not blatantly Christian, because they're not values that come straight out of the scriptures and straight out of a relationship with Jesus, then we're just not a Christian nation. We we're a nation. And yeah, well, and, and too, I mean, (laughs) And maybe you'll disagree with the statement, but I, I feel like, and maybe I'm um, sort of like deifying you know, the founding fathers in a way when I say what, I, what I'm about to say. Um, seem seems to me, at least the narrative that I have been told and adopted, is that what you just said, right? The founding fathers were largely freeing religious persecution or had dealt with it, wanted to create a, a space where that wasn't going to happen, um, and and yeah, probably specifically to them, but they also wrote you know, things saying that, you know, like you said, all men are created equal, et cetera. We, you know, we had to figure that one out for a while, but, um, but I wonder now, this is what this point I'm trying to make. I wonder now if what's happening is, are there people in the church, um, that are more, more into the idea of freedom in, in as much as it pertains to them and see the sort of power 
um, that was being wielded in the in even the writing of a, a document like the Declaration of Independence or or the Constitution, and even and see the fact that those men were Christian, so the thing they create must have also been Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that I don't know that the founding fathers thought of it that way, mm-hmm. um, but I I I we do. Well, I don't say well, I say we like church culture today really does. Like if you're a, if you're a Christian and you make a thing, it's a Christian thing. Um, it's, it's like when you have a, a Christian, a, a guy, a person who's a Christian who makes music that are they a Christian artist or are they not a Christian artist? That's right. Um, and I, and I'm, I'm starting to wonder if that is more, I used to think it was like people wanting to name things, what they were and, and, and set them apart. Like I remember I, I bought my, one of my, one of the earliest albums that I bought as a, as a kid uh, was an Evanescence album, and um, the only reason I was able to buy it is because I told my my grandmother it was a Christian a gr- Christian CD. Which I mean, the people in the band were Christians at the time, but I didn't buy it at a Christian bookstore um, because it wasn't. I don't think any Christian bookstores carried it when it came out. Um, but but that's how. But so I wonder if that comes from a place of more of a place of wanting the power of. I made this and I'm a Christian, so it must be Christian. So we are Christian. Mm. Um, and I wonder if that's somehow become stronger in modern day than maybe it was before. I don't know. Yeah. What do you think? Uh, I think, I, I think people have so intertwined their identity as American and Christian yeah. that it's hard for them to separate the two out in their mind anymore. And so I, I think because they don't view themselves as a Christian first and then born in a country like America, but they view themselves as an American Christian, right? Mm. American Christian directly intertwined. Um, it's gotten, I think it's gotten harder over time and, and worse over time, the, the problem. Because you, I mean, we, we know the history of our country. I mean, you don't see things like under God added until like the 50s and 60s, 1950s and 60s. Right. Right. So like we even added more stuff or you don't see these fights around the Ten Commandments being displayed <laughs> in courthouses until recent decades. Like these were not things people fought for. And I think it's because there's this weird perception that like that that isn't true, that America is this Christian nation. And then somehow we're losing our way somehow. Yeah. And so I have to fight for this identity. and. And unfortunately, they're 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 conflating. They're conflating Christ, a Christianity's influence on a group of people and on a country ultimately, versus something being unmistakably Christian, um, mm-hmm. something being set apart as as Christian. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, I I think the unfortunate thing is it's the, it's it's an identity issue, and that we're going to have a lot of people struggling. They've been struggling. They're going to continue to struggle with where does my, where does me being an American fit in to my identity? Because yeah, but I, I would argue that that like Jesus told us that was the case. Oh, you were going to constantly have to reevaluate the yeah. the kingdoms that you lived in against the kingdom that you're actually a part of. Right. That's right. Like, That's right. And so, uh, I mean, with this next election cycle coming up, <laughs> got some great choices y'all um hopefully all of us as christians are sitting down and going yeah this is terrible you're asking me to choose between two major candidates like this 
Like, how does my um, my Christianity and how I feel about these candidates and how they line up with my faith then inform my Americanness? Because this is a struggle. This is gonna be. Um, well, look, <laughs> you and I, you and I kind of can go around and around about that, but but no, I, I think no, you're right. I think you get what I'm I, saying. Yeah, look, if you're situation, (laughs) if you're a believer, right, then obviously your 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 beliefs are going to influence the way that you think about politics. They just are. Um, I think what I want people and this is a different conversation for a different day, but um, what I what I want the part that does connect to the conversation we're having is what I want Christians to do. Um, and I have to say on both sides, um, is understand that wherever people are falling on this, if you're doing it right, like you're discerning based on your beliefs and your thoughts, and that may lead you in different directions to different candidates, to different ways of voting, to different things. And like, it, just vote that really, that's the point I want to make. Just vote because that is the thing that you should do. Um, but vote in a way that you feel, um, confident about, um, and we can and look, we can argue about which candidate is this or that and blah 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 until the cows come home, right? But um, again, the fact that even that conversation, like, yes, you should vote as an American, but that conversation become a Christian thing, mm-hmm. um, it it's a little bothersome to me. Um, oh, yeah. You know, it, it just is. Even and 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 to me, I think as I've progressed in in faith and grown. Um, I've become pretty disillusioned to anything and you and I even cause I've done some stuff for you, for your church, even you, you and I have talked about how anytime you're going to go, um, in a direction that feels, um, like, uh, like a, I don't want to use the word nationalist cause that sounds terrible, but that's the best word I have for it. Um, uh, in, in a church setting, I'm like, I'm a little uncomfortable about. So even like someone saying from the, like for me now, someone saying from the pulpit, like, Hey, go vote tomorrow kind of sort of bothers me yeah, yeah. <laughs> church next year oh my gosh i talked to a pastor so <laughs> i talked to a pastor not that long ago who said that um not uh, like at some point they had had to move the american flag out of the church um because for cleaning they had to clean the church and it was in the way right um and then they forgot to move it back and he just hasn't told anybody yeah <laughs> Um, so yeah, but but it's a real problem. It's a real problem that we are conflating being proud of our country with our country being Christian. And yeah, that's the difference. It's a difficult line, hundred percent. It's a gray line, right? There's a lot of back and forth. There's a lot of figuring it out, but Mm -hmm. we've got to be very careful with our our pride and just we love our country we love that we have freedoms and all this kind of stuff versus that somehow our country lines up with our christianity um you know we got a problem at that point because you're going to have devout christians who are on multiple ends of every spectrum and they're going to say their that christianity lines up with where they are and so wait a minute like you can't we can't sit here and try to force everyone's Christianity to fit something American because that's mm. not it, it can't happen because it's never supposed to it was never supposed to happen we were never supposed to mold our Christianity into some sort of American ideals um, yeah yeah the I mean, the message of uh, 
of the gospel is 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 anti that right like it's not about it's not about kingdoms and and things like that it's about this other place this other kingdom that we belong to um so i want to ask a couple more questions about um the culture so on one hand uh in what ways has the church adopted american culture like in your mind yeah yeah um i think one of the biggest ways is in like a capitalist business mindset so Mm -hmm. um unspokens in church a lot of church cultures is um bigger is better mm-hmm. the more the more numbers of people we have the bigger facility we have um whatever it is bigger budgets uh bigger is better well that's an american ideal like that's not at all anything that you get from reading scripture um it's just an american ideal that is bred into us um we don't even realize it's happening sometimes. Um, we've seen it in the car industry, right? Over the years, mm-hmm. SUV and big trucks became the most popular vehicles. Um, mm-hmm. It just it, it infiltrates a lot of our life. Homes, people are continuously upgrading their home to a larger home, right? Mm-hmm. Um, now, that's not every American, right? There are streams in our culture that are fighting against that. <laughs> right. Um, for sure. But but they're fighting against it. Thus, it's an ideal in our culture. It's something they're mm-hmm. having to fight against because it's a stream that they're having to work against. And in the church world, um, that's a weight that is is unsustainable in a church world. The idea that bigger is better is a weight that is simply unsustainable because yeah. Jesus never gave the impression that G- that bigger was better. The early church never gave the impression that bigger was better. Um, I mean, if anything, it gave the opposite impression. If you're going to try to argue for one or the other, <laughs> my argument doesn't have an impression. Like There just isn't one. It yeah. doesn't matter way. But if, but if anything, you see Jesus running from the crowds, the first chance he gets to go, get away yeah. and get away from his disciples. <laughs> Um, yeah, well, and the early church too was, you know, uh, the uh, the possibility of being killed for <laughs> celebrating your faith uh, causes one causes one to 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 think small. <laughs> well, but there were moments we forget this though. Like Rome, Rome is where the church got adopted by a state and then was out in the open, a hundred percent. But there were Caesars before that who were sympathetic to Christians and did not mm-hmm. persecute them. So there would have been periods of time, decades. Yeah here and there that the church could have chosen to meet in large public groups and you still don't see a record of it. So, right. so I think the difficulty for me is the bigger and better ideal influences us tremendously. I mean, the amount of conversations that I've had to have over the years about numbers blows mm. me out of the water. I mean, just absolutely blows me out of the water because I'd love someone to point to the conversation they find Jesus having with his disciples about numbers. Um, right. Like I just, it's wild. To P- me. Peter, there were not enough at your Bible study last week. Right. I need That's you to right. get those numbers up. Try to be more relational. Um, maybe right. you could send out some invite cards. <laughs> That's right. Maybe we could run an Instagram. Ad. I. It just, none of this is bad, right? Wanting to reach people, wanting to reach lots of people, Wanting people to come to your your small group, 
wanting people to come to your church. None of it is bad. It's all good. Those are all good impulses. But to then begin to judge our successes based on these things is very American. Very, very American. Yeah. Um, and it causes real pain, right? It'll cause a youth pastor who has a dozen kids to then question their their calling potentially, oh, their yeah. impact, all this kind of stuff, even though they could be impacting these 12 kids in such a deep way that those 12 kids go on to impact generations of people. We don't have that mindset. Like we just think about, I've got 12 kids. Mm-hmm. That's all i got. I should have more. My pastor thinks I should have more. The parents think I should have more. The culture thinks I should have more. Everyone thinks I should have more. Yeah. And, and, G, and I just, I just have to be like the first image that always comes to mind when I get into these conversations around how American culture is influencing us is the words of Jesus to Martha when he goes to visit Mary and Martha mm-hmm. and Mary's sitting at his, at his feet, taking the position of a disciple. She's at his feet, learning, spending time with Jesus. And Martha's busy in the kitchen and preparing food, likely because the other disciples were there. And so they needed something to eat. And she gets upset, right? She gets upset. Mary, why aren't you helping me? We're the hostess. We're the hosts. Mm-hmm. Our home, mm-hmm. you should be helping me. Jesus, tell her to help me. And, and Jesus' words of just like, Martha, you're so worried about so many things. And I will not take from Mary the better portion that she's chosen, basically. Mm. And I'm like, if we could have those words in, in staff meetings across the country, in every church setting that we walk into repeated to us, I think it would transform the people of God in America. Because it's just like, you're concerned about so many things that you're busy with, mm. but you've forgotten the, the better portion, the best thing. Me, my presence, time with me, being calm and just enjoy, you know, coming into my presence. Like you're so worried, making sure all of your greeters are lined up and know exactly what they should do. You're so worried. You're so stressed that all of your ads are running correctly online. You're, (laughs) it's just all of this very American stuff, right? Yeah. You're so worried about this building campaign that you're running. You're so worried, church people, about all of these things that I didn't worry about when I walked the earth. Yeah, um, and, that, and I, I get that. So like if you're a church, so let's say you're someone who's having this realization of like, oh, crap, you know, yeah, we did this building campaign, but did we really need a building or was that? And I think there probably are a lot of churches that are landing in those camps, especially with what's happened with COVID. I want to talk about COVID a little more specifically in a minute, but um, that there probably are people that are like, whoa, we need to pump the brakes a little bit. But I wonder if there are some churches that are are already at the point of unsustainability now, and you either pull back entirely and kind of start fresh, or we keep running the maze. I mean, mm-hmm. like running, like, I feel like there's probably some churches that feel like they're stuck in that spot because so like, let's say you get the big building. Well, now you have to maintain that build, big building. So you need money and for money, you need people and for, like, and the, it's just kind of the spiral that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, I, and I can imagine, you know, it's easy to paint like pastors that are in churches like that and be like, Oh yeah, look at you. You just want clout and fame. And, and there are, there is that that's around. But I also think for every one of those, there's a pastor out there that's like, man, I want to get off this ride, but I don't know how. Um, because I, it's expected, I right? Say, I want to interrupt you because I because I want to say 
I think some people come at it from a very genuine, legitimate place because I did. So I'm not pointing the finger at other people. Right. I came at it from a very legitimate place because this numbers thing feeds into this attractional thing too. How mm-hmm. like marketing and how, how do we attract people to the church to hear about Jesus? Um, and and I've, I, for a lot of my life, have struggled with that and, and, and struggled with it from the sense that I, would, I, I catch myself wanting to do it. And, and then wake up on the other end of it and say, that's not even what I need to be doing, but I keep doing it. But I think some of it has come from a genuine place of like, I do want to see people come to know Jesus. I do, I do want to see people come experience the presence of God. And so instead of asking the question, how do I get to them, right? How do I take the presence of God to them? I've been asking the wrong question. How do I get them to me? Mm. How do I get them to a place, to our thing? And, and, and so they come at it from a genuine place, but then they wake up one day and they're like, whoa, I've been running on this hamster wheel so fast and so hard trying to convince people that they need Jesus. And it's not my job to be the Holy Mm. Spirit. Like it's, Mm. it's, it's not my job to convince them of that. It's my job to present people with the gospel, but it's not, it's my job. It's my job to love people. Um, it's my job. Right. To, it's not my job to be the Holy Spirit and to try to attract them to to the gospel and to Jesus mm-hmm. and to God. Um, scripture clearly says that it's the Holy Spirit that will do that work in someone's life. And so, am I just? Did I start in a genuine place, and did, do I now find myself identifying that like I started in a genuine place, but I took on the American ideals? Of how to do it yeah yeah i mean look so there's the, the the and i've mentioned it before on this show but there's this like if you build it they will come mentality that the church has and yeah. and when and when you build it and they don't come then what the conversation immediately turns to is well you're doing something wrong um you're not you don't have enough faith you're not you're not doing this good enough right. um you're not trying hard enough. You're not being relational enough. You're not being engaging enough, whatever the word is that comes out of the particular people that are, you know, pulling your particular strings. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think too, I, again, going like you, this is what it's about, but like this, there's almost like this idea of if we're right and we are, <laughs> then everyone will have to join our team. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's almost, you know, to take it, to the very beginnings of the country, right? People, people, people of faith, quote unquote, show up on this country and decide like, we're going to convert everybody else. And, and and converting was not like, Hey, let me explain to you how much Jesus loves you. That was not it. That was not the conversion process. Um, and I, I don't know that that attitude ever really went away. Um, at the church, because I think there is a a set of the church that goes like, we're right. You're wrong. Shut up. (laughs) Like, yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah. when people don't, and when they people don't, and they don't immediately like come to your church service or your church plant doesn't grow, they're like, "Oh well, you must be wrong because if you were right, people would be showing up in droves." Oh my goodness! Or even a, an even more unhealthy place to get is then it's judgmentalism of all the people that aren't coming, right? So mm. it's not just I'm doing something wrong. Now I blame the culture around me. So mm-hmm. it's for die. What we would say a dying church usually the attitude they end up with a congregation that has kind of reached its life cycle and they've got 
10 people left and they need to acknowledge that they either got to do, they, they just got to, they got to reach new people, right? They got to find a way to genuinely love their community and start to reach new people. Or they probably just need to close the public doors of their church. They can still be the church, but they're not sustainable as far as owning a building and paying, right. paying a person to be on staff and all that. So you just have to have real conversations like, hey, if you want to keep meeting and being the church, we're for it. But you probably don't need a building and because you can do that in a house. Anyways, so <laughs> what I'm saying, though, is where they end up a lot of the times is they get super judgmental of the culture and they basically talk about how the whole culture has gone to hell in a handbasket and it's all the people out there's problem that they're not coming to our church. Mm -hmm. um, and that's not the uh, understanding of Jesus. I mean, <laughs> that's not Christian at all. Like that's super judgmental of the world. Jesus in fact said himself, I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world from its sin. I mean, so it like this idea that somehow it's your fault that you don't want to come to Jesus is like, oh my goodness, where, how far have we come from um, the heart of Jesus for the world? Um, and, it, and it stems from, it stems from that we're taking American ideals and American models. They are distinctly American. We know they are because they've never translated into a non-first world country in the world. Mm. Um, and so we know they're American, but we struggle to separate out what does it mean to be the church? What does it mean to be a Christian from how have I made this American, an American version of Christianity? And, um, and we, we really do struggle with that. Can I, can I ask you, cause, cause you just said something that I really, I really want to, I want to want to unpack a little bit. So we know they're American because they've never translated to a non first world country. Um, what do you mean? So, um, like the idea of owning a facility, mm -hmm. um, people in first and second world countries don't have the money to own a facility. Uh, we could buy them for them, which sometimes we do. Americans send money and build buildings <laughs> for these churches as if that's what they need. Right. Right. We take this form that we've called Christianity of a building where people gather and an experience in that building called a worship service. Mm -hmm. um, once a week. And we have taken it overseas and said, this is what it means to be the church. And, and the irony is, is like, there are elements of that that are true, right? Like gathering with God's people is what it means to be the church. Um, mm -hmm. Doing it inside a building. Nope. But you don't have to do it inside a building. You can, but you don't have mm -hmm. to. There's no one for one there. Um, you can do it on the side of a hill. I mean, you can do, that's where Jesus met with his crowds. So it's like, you can do it wherever. And, and, and so we've just created this very, um, you know, trying to get people to come to a something version of Christianity. And we've translated it to the rest of the world, but that's very American. It's very American for us to think we can get people to come to our thing. Like that's, oh yeah, it's what we it's what we did with democracy. <laughs> right, right. We try to convince countries around the world <laughs> that democracy is going to save them, and we don't know that at all. But we we're convinced it's true. Well, right. we do in our Christianity as well. This is what's going to save you. This is this model of church, this version of Christianity. This is what you've been needing, and what they need is Jesus. They don't need the model, but it's tough for us to separate those things out, and. Um, 
and 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 so it's just a difficult it's a difficult thing for me to identify in my life. Okay, um, um, my American side of me says consuming is the highest ideal. Mm-hmm. Right? That consuming is the highest ideal. The more I consume, uh, the better thing I consume. But that consuming is what I'm supposed to be doing constantly: consuming this, consuming that, watching TV on social media, buying things off Amazon, right? Consume, 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 consume. Mm-hmm. And so then I have to feed my habit of consuming. So I need to work more hours anyway. So just, but it's all about consuming. That's the highest ideal in the American psyche. It just is. Vacations are about consuming. I'm consuming an experience. Um, concerts are about consuming. Sporting events are about consuming. All of it's about consuming. And, and consumption becomes the ideal. Well, then we translate that into the church. And so now everything I do as a church is around getting you to consume something. The problem with that is um, we know this in raising children. At some point, a child has to feed themselves. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't keep giving you things to consume. You've got to learn to use the fork and the knife or you're never going to feed yourself. Like <laughs> You've got to learn to get the food out of the fridge and cook it for yourself or you're never going to be able to live alone. Like I will have failed as a parent if I can't get you to learn how to cook food and eat it. But in the mm. church, it, it, the way it becomes American is we know the more we can get someone to be addicted to consuming our product, the more they'll come back, the more people I'll get. These are very American things, but they're not explicitly Christian. Jesus, in fact, would, would probably be appalled, I would argue, at that. because. His attempts were not, hey, come and consume. His attempts were, hey, come and be, come and be like me. In fact, turn into someone who is pouring yourself out. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's like, hey, take up your cross and follow me is not very consuming oriented. Um, and and so we, we've got to wrestle with that, right? We've got to wrestle with how, how much am I allowing the Americanness to influence how I'm doing ministry. And and then how is that hurting other people? I think that's what I've really been trying to wrestle in my own life. How is it hurting me? Mm. Hurting me because it's actually turning me into someone that it doesn't look like Jesus, but I look like a a Christian version of an American, I guess, a moral version of American. You know, I don't even know what to say. Um, Right. Cultural Christianity. And, And so I look something like the religion of Christianity, but I still am distinctly American mm-hmm. or is my lifestyle starting to look like Jesus? Like those are two different things right now in our culture a lot of the times. And, yeah. um, and it's hurtful because it gets down to my identity, the core of who I am. It starts to get, it starts to hit on some of my core values about life. Um, here's, here's one that I've, I've been wrestling with recently that um that I want to I want to throw out there. It's the worship of standard of living. The worship of okay. standard of living. So the assumption that um, standard of living ha- says something about who I am as a person. Mm. So if I'm middle class, it means somehow I'm better than someone who's working class. Mm. I, I've achieved something they haven't, or I have some sort of trait that they don't have. Um, mm-hmm. And so we keep trying to up our standard of living constantly. Um, we want to constantly have the newest car, the newest phone, the newest 
house, the best neighborhood, the best lifestyle, the best vacations, whatever. My standard of living has to go up. It's kind of the, just this right. assumption, right? That the, when I make money, what am I going to do? Oh, I'm going to buy more stuff. I'm going to get a newer <laughs> car. Not, yeah. How does God want me to use this money? Maybe how does mm-hmm. God want me to give this money away? Um, no, it's this money's mine. What am I going to do with it? And, right. and so we worship this standard of living. The problem with that is that begins to infiltrate our churches. And this is a very specific example. Look at the, I, I'd, I'd love to hear from people if they know of an example, because I've yet to find one, but look at the number of mega churches or large churches, the number of churches with the most money and resources that have intentionally invested in areas of the community around them or the city that they're in, because they're usually in big cities. Mm-hmm. That is not middle class to upper middle class. Mm. And it's going to be very few. It's going to be very few. And I don't mean sending money to feel better about yourself. That's not <laughs> what I right. mean. Throw some money at an organization that's doing some good in that neighborhood. No, I mean like actually going into those spaces because we value the people there. Mm. Right? We're not coming in with a savior complex or anything like that. We're saying no. We love all people, so we love these people as much as we love anyone else. And we're going to come in and say, how, how can we love you? That's it. Mm-hmm. How can we love you? What, what, how can we make your, you know, are, are there problems here that we can help with? Are there ways here you're doing things that we can support? You know, just how can we love you? And what you're going to find is most megachurches, they only plant campuses in middle to upper middle class neighborhoods. Well, what does that say? Well, pretty much says we only value this this type of person. Mm. We only value this standard of living. This is well, our that's, that's that's the ones that can can give to us. So, so Wait. it's like <laughs> that's an very very American thing, right? Right? No, I'm just I'm just saying that's why they do it. No, like, I oh no, I know I know why they do it. I'm just saying like that's <laughs> an very American thing. So then, so then for someone who says I want to go to an area. That doesn't fit that, right? I want to go to an area that doesn't fit this this idea that somehow the standard of living in America is what I should be worshiping, but I should just be loving people. Um, they have a huge crisis on their hand because their Christianity doesn't look like a lot of American Christianity at that point, mm-hmm. right? So they're going to have a huge struggle. A lot of times they're going to face a lot of hurt because people are going to they're not going to understand them. They're not going to understand them. They're going to say things like, why aren't you going to this other area over here where you could have a big church, right? Right. Or you could have, you know, a nice building. Why aren't you doing these things that we expect of you because we are Americans as opposed to validating that person and saying, oh, yes, that's very like Jesus. It's very like Jesus that you feel called to move your whole family into an area and a different area of town than what we would expect you to live in. It, you know, right. It looks, it's like Jesus. Cause you're choosing to make decisions based on loving people and not based on the standard of living of your, your lifestyle. Mm. Yeah. And, um, yeah. 
I, I, so I want to ask one more question because we don't have a ton of time, but I, I do want to, I meant, I said, I want to talk about COVID and, and this is what, what I, what I want to talk about. Yeah. Um, we talked a minute, a minute ago about the idea of like, what if there's a pastor out there and they're like kind of stuck on the hamster wheel? Like we got to do the thing. We got to, we got to say the things we got to raise the money. We got to do whatever. Yeah. Um, I have landed. So let me, let me preface with this. I think like, obviously what has happened with this global pandemic has been just earth shattering. It's a big deal. It's affected so many people in so many ways. Uh, I'm just not going to debate that, but what I hope can come out of something like this, especially in the world of church is that it's having to call, it's causing people to have to think about like the way that we're doing church. Yeah. Um, so I, I was talking to my students the other day, we were starting a series and the very, we we're going through the book of Ephesians, um, in this series. And, uh, we basically started to have a conversation of, you know what I've heard, I kind of like, I left my notes and I was like, I've heard my whole life. The church is not a building. And f- finally God is forcing us to like figure that out. And hear, yeah. hear me out when I say this, like God did not send this virus for any, for no. that reason or any yeah. reason. But what I meant was like, we're in the middle of a time where we have been saying, giving, you know, service with our lips <laughs> to this idea that the church is not a building. And now here we are and we can't meet in our building. Um, and I got to imagine God's just like, okay, what you going to do? Mm-hmm. Um, so do you think that um, a pastor who say was stuck on the wheel can use this to like refocus, resituate? And what, what do you think that could look like? Yeah. Yes, because I am. Um, <laughs> so I got to be honest, I got caught up. So we just, part of my, our story is we, we moved to a new community a couple of years ago. Um, we just public opened a church last fall. So, you know, pre-COVID, about five months pre-COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for f- five months, we, leading up to that, and then for those five months after, we were doing all of the very American version of church planting things, checking all of the boxes, you know, trying to attract people, you know, running all the ads, sending out the postcards, doing all the stuff. And and so we did that. And we ran on that hamster wheel and ran really hard on that hamster wheel, having mm-hmm. excellent kids stuff, excellent music, all this stuff. None of it's bad stuff, but it's all very American. <laughs> and so COVID hit and we all ended up at home, right? And I mm-hmm. remember the day it hit because we had to cancel another event that we were trying to get the community to show up to. So, um, so another attractional event and we had to cancel it because of COVID. And then all of a sudden we're all at home and it's like, I had to go through a detox. Like, like I spent weeks in detox over running on the hamster wheel and right. I couldn't run on the hamster wheel anymore. I could not attract people to anything. Um, I, I could not go, I couldn't do any of the things I had always done. My, you know, the, the thing that I had banked my ministry on was gone. Yep. And I woke up and I said, I'm not sure I was banking my ministry on Jesus. Mm. Like, I think he was a part of it, but like, I think I was banking my ministry on these other things. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think we were banking our church on these other things that are not evil, but they're not Jesus. Like, right? are there other ways Jesus did things that, that would help and would make sense and help me, help me to not be running on this hamster wheel and help our people to, to connect with him in ways that they haven't because they've been running on the hamster wheel too. Um, and, and I began to, 
to see the life of Jesus in just a, a renewed way. I had seen these things before, but they just took on new meaning. And what we see of Jesus and what I think a pastor can find themselves doing, which is what I've done, is we, we see Jesus uh, pulling away strategically and often to just spend time with his father, um, to just spend time in the presence of God with not expecting something of God, but just, I'm here with you. Not do something for me, but just be here with me. And and so learning to live a lifestyle where I, it's almost like the idea of stealing those moments. And I, mm-hmm. I equate it to people when they fall in love with someone and they're like stealing moments with that person throughout the day, little texts, little calls, whatever. But like this kind of lifestyle that's centered around stealing moments with God, like these rhythms with God that are healthy and natural, where I, where I turn off all the noise, all the noise of my life, all the noise of this world, all the noise of everything going on. And I just listen for God's voice. Mm-hmm. Um, those rhythms are hugely important. And we've just, we've just not done a good job of that at all. At best, we've had the idea of a five to 10 minute quiet time once a day, which is just so foreign to the lifestyle of Jesus and the lifestyles of his disciples. Mm. Um, and so reorienting our daily lives, then, then in, in a minister's life, when, once you've reoriented your own relationship with God, at that point, of course, it, it needs to impact your family. But the way I think you start to see it impact your ministry is, you know, Jesus Yes, he was always available to the to the um, to the masses, to the large numbers, to the mm-hmm. community. In fact, he was out in the community more than he was anywhere else. Right. Um, he had a small group that he met with consistently, and yeah, and I think that the idea that small group ministry. For the longest time, we've decided we have to attract people to a large gathering and then convince them that they need to join a small group. That's kind of been the model. Mm-hmm. I think what we're seeing is actually no discipleship and small group ministry is the essence of the church. Like, yeah, it's the foundation. The large group thing is just there. Like, I mean, it can have some benefit and there could be some good to it. But like, one, it's very American and Two, it's it was never an essential part of discipleship. Um, it's just not. So it's a non-essential, which we love that language nowadays. Well, it's, who's the essential worker? Who's not? Um, well, what's non-essential about our church is a large gathering. Funny enough, <laughs> right? Not, not ignoring gathering. That's not what we're talking about. No, you're still gathering with believers when you're gathering in a small group. Mm-hmm. You're gathering in the presence of God. You can fulfill the the mission of the church with small groups that are meeting and then the oversight of those small groups. So, so I think the opportunity here is to press the reset button on our personal lives, but then on the church life on what's important, what are the, what are the essences of the church? What does it mean to be the church? What things are nice, but they're not essential. Mm -hmm. Um, what are the ways that we're going to see people really become disciples and leaders and grow in their faith? And, and, and what things are not going to create this dissonance 
that we've all felt that many times those of us who are leaders in the church have this dissonance of a lot of the times in large group settings, um, it feels like we got to put on a show Mm -hmm. just does. And that creates pain and hurt that you either stuff away or you just ignore, but it feels like you've got to, you got to put on a show that that Mm -hmm. that's what has to happen. If, even if I don't feel like it, I got to show up and act like I'm super Christian. (laughs) <laughs> and a lot of church members feel that way too, or people right, yeah. outside the church. That's why they don't come because they feel mm-hmm. like if I go to this thing, I've got to make it seem like I have my life together. And yep. the most recent trend in the church was how do we make these large group settings more transparent or how do we show people don't have their life together? The problem with that is you still don't get to know anyone. It's, <laughs> right. It, it is literally impossible to follow through on the command of loving one another in a large group setting because you can't love people you don't know. Mm-hmm. And if you have service level relationship with someone, you can't love them. It's impossible. Love only happens when you're actually getting to know someone at a deep level, when you're there for them in their hardest moments, when you're there for them in their victories, that's the only place love happens. So, so we can't actually fulfill the greatest com- commandments if, if we're only living as Christians in large group settings and or in settings where relationships aren't deep because we might Mm. be in a small number of people and still in a surface level relationship with everyone. (laughs) Yeah. Let's clarify that. So, so for the pastor that's saying, maybe this is an opportunity to like reset myself, get off the hamster wheel, reset what my own relationship with God looks like. And then what my ministry looks like, I would, I would highly encourage it because it's what I've been working on and doing and hmm. just saying, okay, what are the rhythms of Jesus? He spends time with God. He spends time with those closest to them. And then the, the, I hinted at this, but this is the last one. And it's, he spends time out in the community all the time, like yeah, all the time, all of his greatest miracles, not in the temple. I hate to tell you, wasn't during, during the Jewish <laughs> it was out in the community. He was yeah. with, people. He was sitting at the well with the woman. He was walking through the crowds when the woman grabbed his robe. He healed the Roman official's son who came to him because he was walking around town so the Roman official could find him. Um, he wasn't holed up in a house somewhere. Like, yes, he'll go to people's homes. Yes, he went to the temple. Yes, he went to the festivals. I'm not knocking any of that. But the fact that the rhythms of life of many Christians and many pastors do not have us out in the community more often than not around people is troublesome because it doesn't look like the rhythms of Jesus. And, Mm. and ultimately it's more American than Christian because it's saying your job is to get to me. I'm here. You know, I'm here. We've got a website. We've got a sign out front. I'm sitting here in a building. If you need me, I'm here. Come get to me. And Jesus just wasn't him. He was in homes. He was out in the marketplaces. He was walking the streets. Yeah. And, and so if we're not those three parts of our life, like that's it. If we're not having these rhythms with God throughout our day, deep rhythms, if we're not having these rhythms with a small group of people, and if we're not out in the community, um, it's difficult. Yeah. 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 Man. 
That's a lot. That's that's good. I hope I hope that um, you know the reason I asked that question is I just know I've talked to so many people in the church that are just really struggling, and and, and I mean you are one of them, right? Through yeah. the yeah. through the process of all of what all this means and what it all what it all does to the church, and I have just sort of landed in the camp that I really do think this can be a reset button. I think this can be a way for the church to move into uh, a fuller understanding of its call. Um, if for no other reason than it forced, um, we keep say, talking about the hamster wheel, but it forced a lot of that to, to just stop. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and out of necessity, we had to start thinking other ways. And, um, you know, there's a lot of churches that did that. And what they tried to do was just move everything that was happening in person online. I don't think that's the right move. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a way to do something better and something new. Um, you know, God's a God who does new things. And I think we can find new things. Um, and so I, I was, I wanted to ask you that question cause I wanted people to hear from someone kind of walking through that themselves. Um, as I know that you have, cause we've been talking since the beginning of this pandemic. Um, and at different times we've been in different places, right. Yeah. Um, as far as like where we, where we thought we needed to be moving and going. Uh, and so it's just, my point in that is that everyone knows like this is a, a thing we're all figuring out. That's right. Um, and it's, it's not, it's never too late to like, to do that, to do that process. Um, even if you've been going real hard on doing ministry in a very specific way throughout the pandemic, I think there's still a space to be like, yo, let's try this. Um, and I think, you know, one of the first places we, we might need to look is where are the places in our, in our church cultures that we are, you know, maybe being more American than we are being Christian. Um, even in churches that you think like that's not a big deal, stop and think about it because I think you'll find, especially if you go in and you read through and you think through the things that Drew is talking about, I think you're going to find that there's, there's some places of that in, in you that you maybe don't even realize. So, yeah. Yeah. And that's cool for me. For me yeah. It's been hurtful, but it's been healing. And we know yeah. that. You know that the, on the other side of pain is usually healing. <laughs> that's usually the point of surgery or something like that. And right. so like, so it is a church hurt situation of having to deal with this over the last 15 years, but it's really all come to a head and this year. Um, but it's been healing. It's been a healing process. And um, so I encourage people to, to enter into it, to wade into it. And to, even though it's going to, there's going to be some hurt there, um, deal with that hurt, deal with that hurt of, even unspoken expectations of that you've had of yourself that are not of Christ that are just mm-hmm. American. And you've placed these things on yourself, these weights on yourself. And Jesus is trying to say to you what he said to Martha, you're worried about so many things, but I really <laughs> just want you to be worried about me. <laughs> mm. Yeah. So anyway. yeah. That's good. Uh, all right. So they, <laughs> thank you for coming and hanging and, and talking. Um, we sure. do that off of the podcast, but it's fun sure. to do it and let other people hear. Um, but uh, so where can people get your book, man? Yeah. Okay. So the book is on uh, Amazon. You can get a physical copy or an, an ebook right there on Amazon. And uh, No Longer Self-Evident is the title, Drew Anderson. Mm-hmm. And um, so ebook right there. Uh, you can find all that information or more information about me on um a website, drewanderson.blog. So just my name.blog. And uh, you can find me on social media. I don't mind sharing my social media with people. Um, at 
Drew Sarah Cam Jacks, our kids' names. Um, so at Drew Sarah Cam Jacks uh, on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, and um, yeah. and you'll see more information about the book there too. So yeah, yeah, and definitely get get the physical copy of the book because I got to say the artwork is is pretty nice. That's right. There might have been someone who helped with the artwork, and he did a <laughs> fantastic job, a banging job. Yeah. And so you should buy the physical copy just to have it in your hand. Well, another advantage for buying the physical copy, I'll say this: is the flow of the book is to be uh, is to have some discipleship rhythms to it, and mm-hmm. so there are some questions at the end of each chapter, and and there's just enough space there really to like write some stuff down. And so um, that could be helpful as well. So, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, de- guys, definitely, definitely go get it, check it out, read it. Um, check out Drew. Um, he's a cool dude. Uh, and we, I'm glad to have him back on again. It's, it's, it was fun. It's fun. It's an honor to come back on. Thank you, Josh. <laughs> Thanks, man. All right, guys. Uh, that is it. I will see you guys next time. Bye. guys for listening hopefully you enjoyed this episode if you did please be sure to leave us a rating and a review that helps us climb up those ranks if you want to contact us with your story of church hurts you can reach out to us at whenchurchhurtsus at gmail.com or if you're on the anchor app you can actually go and leave a voice memo and we will be able to listen to that on the show and talk about it on the show so if that's something you would like to do to retain your anonymity you can totally do that. We want this to be as safe a place uh, for everyone to be able to share their stories and, uh, and be able to heal from it. So thank you guys so much, and we'll see you next time.